C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hi campers, welcome to Camp Adulthood this week I'm Shay Keats And who are you, Camp Adulthood? Oh, well, I am Camp Adulthood And I'm Maddie Erhe, resident youth Sorry (laughs) I have cold and I'm on Dayquil So we're going to blame it on that I don't know how to do this Whatever the active ingredient in Dayquil and NyQuil is, it, like, should be illegal, I think. Yeah, remember when I um, took Dayquil and had a margarita and then I got a dog? <laughs> is that what happened? I didn't know you were on Dayquil that day. I was there. Oh, yeah. Shout out. There was a lot of cold medicine going on that day. <laughs> That's great. The last time I, like, took NyQuil heavily, I had a lot of dreams about Bernie Sanders, who is someone that I don't <laughs> think about normally, so... Like, were they sexy dreams about Bernie Sanders or just... It was just like we were pals. We were like palling around, me and Bernie. It was weird. But it was like I took it every night for like three nights and every night I had a dream about (laughs) Bernie Sanders. It was so weird. I love that you just shared that with me. It's making me very happy. Yeah. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Uh, Well, I wanted to, before we jump into our millennial moments and campfire topics, um just give a quick plug for the patreon we've been collecting our swags um and we're really excited all the swags are coming in and we're hoping for a big holiday send maybe like a you know new year's sort of fulfillment of all the stuff that we've promised people so if you want to get on in on that you can still become a patreon subscriber and there might be other ways you can give to us in the new year. So look out for that. Yeah, I will link that on our website and also from the Instagram. And, you know, at, maybe you didn't think of this, but a Patreon subscription can be a great gift for a uh, lover of the arts, if you will. Um, you can uh, get them a subscription and we will lovingly send all the swag to the loved one of your choice or multiple loved ones. That's a great idea. I didn't even think about that. We can make personalized cards that seem like they're from you, like Amazon does. You know? Like oh, yeah. We're good at that. When you send a gift and it's like, this is from so-and-so, we could totally do that. So we're very open to however you guys want to do it. So Exactly. Exactly. Great. So, Shay, would you like to start with your millennial moment of the week? Um, Actually, I would like you to start because my millennial moment kind of bleeds into my campfire topic okay great so i'll do my millennial moment and then you can do your millennial moment slash hot topic and then we'll circle back around see yes if that's okay see producing on the fly so we're off my millennial moment i alluded this to you via text this week but i played Mm. my first round of dungeons and dragons last weekend (gasps) i'm so excited sorry have you ever played dungeons and dragons no i've never played but i just I love everything about this. Please go on. And yeah. then I will tell you my thoughts. So just off the bat, I feel like you would really like it as someone who is into literature and oh. fiction writing. And as a writer, yeah. I think you could get really into it. So 
the reason why I got, we got into it, Corey really likes it, and he's played in the past, and he has, like, the player's manual or whatever, like... He, Daddy, he, can you it's give for our some of our older and younger listeners kind of an, just a definition of what Dungeons & Dragons oh, yes. is? That's a yeah. good call. So, it's a role-playing game. It's not live action like LARPing. I think that's what people think of like the weirdos that you see in the park that are like dressed up in costume. It's not that. So it's a fantasy role playing game, but it's a tabletop game. So you sit in a circle around a table and you each have a character. And there's one person who's the dungeon master and they kind of based on everyone's character and what sort of game they want to play. So the game that I played was a heist scenario. So when we were talking to the dungeon master, we were like, oh, it'd be really fun to do a heist game. So all the characters were either like thieves or people who were like deceptive. And we were like, we want to do like a crime thing. So the dungeon master comes up with a scenario that they want you guys to play and then everyone has their character description and based on your character you have different um things that you can do so my character um was like not very deceptive but she like she had a good backstory that led me to have i like some of the characters have like spells that you can use that like make it easier to do the the thing that you're doing um And so you go around and the dungeon master will set the scene and then there's basically like no rules in terms of like turns that you take. So you just kind of like the dungeon master sets the scene and then someone will be like, oh, I want to walk up to the creepy castle that you mentioned. And then the dungeon master will be like, okay, like if you roll higher than a 10, you get very close to it if you're roll lower than a 10 then you're still really far back and you have to think of something else so there's like luck involved okay so one comment and one question Mm -hmm. for first comment for our listeners that may not know about dungeons and dragons because i just learned this i used to for many years think dungeons and dragons and magic the gathering were the same thing they are not no they are not Um, magic the gathering is a card game and dungeons and dragons does not involve cards involves a book and a die die dice right yeah Yeah, so the book gives you like all (laughs) the archetypes and it says like at some points during the game you're like you're talking to someone and let's say you're like lying through your teeth because you're trying to get them to divulge information the -hmm. dungeon master might be like all right you have to roll a perception check to see if the person that you're talking to knows that you're lying or not so the dungeon master is kind of like doing things on the fly but there's a framework of like based on what your character is. And how does one get to be a dungeon master? I think you just... So that's one thing I wanted to talk about. I think you just have to, like, get really good at learning the rules of the game. Because I I didn't even know enough rules. Like, there's a player's handbook that you can read, but it's, like, a very thick book. And I think this is why, like, the people that play Dun- Dungeons & Dragons are so into it. Because the only people that can play to a point where it's, like, very fun you have to know the ins and outs of every type of possible monster that the dungeon master could put in the scenario. You have to mm. know all the archetypes. You have to know, like, oh, if you roll this, what does it mean? Um, like, to be able to go through the game pretty seamlessly, you have to know all of that stuff. And, like, I had the manual, and obviously I was with people who were, like, teaching me, so it was easier, but I didn't know what you could and could not do or like what would make the game more fun so I think to become the dungeon master you just have to um 
learn the rules a lot, but we were playing like a one-off game. So it was a scenario that could be done in like a couple hours. But like these games usually take how many hours? They usually take like days, if not weeks, because you have to build your character, which in and of itself takes a lot of time. You have to come up with a whole backstory for your character, how all the other characters that are playing know each other. So before you even sit down to play the game, you have to be in some sort of contact with all the people that are playing. Okay. So you have to architect the narrative. Yeah, of the you have world to architect the game in the world. Yeah, right. And then usually, like, there's different levels. So, like, the one-off game that we were playing, we were just like, all the characters are here, they're doing the scenario, and then it's over. But if you're playing like a full-scale campaign, you start at like level one, let's say, and your character basically has like no special powers. They haven't like earned anything yet. They haven't done anything. And so, as you go through the game, you can amass like more and more special things that make your character better and it makes the game more interesting and then you finally get to like the last grand campaign and that's like the most fun thing but this can take like weeks you know to do all this and if you're really into it you like people that are really into it like draw their character or they have little like figurines that they make that are like their character so if you're really attached to your character you can do all these things. So we were doing very like small scale, but it was super fun because it's like, there are no, I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to, to be honest. Like I was very Mm -hmm. anti Dungeons and Dragons for a long time, mostly because my ex-boyfriend, Michael, shout out, he's a listener. Um, Hi, Michael. He's also a patron. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, he's great. Um, But he was, he started a Dungeons and Dragons fraternity at Michigan called Delta New Delta. He did not. D&D. Yes, I have. I actually have it sitting right here because I pulled it out. This is a shirt that he gave me that says Rush Delta New Delta. And it has the dice, like the Dungeons and Dragons dice. This is just a hole of interesting that we're going down here. Yeah, it's really, really a hole. So like when he was playing, not that this is not a slight on him at all. Like he's a great person, but he never... Like, they had a big thing with their Dungeons & Dragons fraternity that they were, like, from my outside perspective, they didn't really want, like, girls participating. And then they had, like, one girl who, like, wanted to, but they were, like, and I've heard this from other people. They're, like, it's kind of, it's less fun when you have a significant other who doesn't know how to play because it's such a complicated Uh, game. That they're, like, it's not, like, playing cards where you can just, like, pick up and learn it really quickly. And it ends up detracting Mm -hmm. from everyone else's experience. So I never had anyone that invited me to play until now. Um, And I used to kind of make fun of Michael a little bit for it. Because I thought it was a game for, like, basement-dwelling losers. But now, obviously, that was, like, when I was in high school. But now, I'm like, no, it's really fun. And there's cool, um, like, web series or... Harmon Quest, which was on TV, which was, like, people playing Dungeons & Dragons, and then they animate the role-playing. Oh, wow. And it's really fun, because, like, you'll be going down a scene, and then someone will be like, oh, we're going to do something completely different, and then the Dungeon Master will have to, like, improvise on the fly to, like, keep the game going. So, mm-hmm. it was super fun. It was really long, though. Like, we didn't even get to finish the campaign, and we played for, like, four hours. I was like, this is exhausting. And, and you have to it. pay attention it's not like taking turns where like you can zone in and out. Mm-hmm. It was like super complicated, and I kind of went through the campaign. I was like, my character's motivation for doing this heist is she wants to like do her own thing. She doesn't want to be part of the group. So like, I was kind of being subversive. Yeah, but it was fun. It was a yeah. good time. 
Well, and you know, Dungeons & Dragons is partly having this – well, it started to have this comeback because it originally originated – originally originated. That's clever. Um, in what, the 70s was when it started? Yeah, I think it was like okay. the original – thing was like when sci-fi like star wars came out and like sci-fi okay. kind of had its moment so apparently it started to have this comeback in the past few years and then with the release of stranger things last year and this year there's been a huge surge because stranger things is influenced by dungeons and dragons and oh, really i did not know that yep i haven't and watched stranger things so i don't know oh my god maddie it's really good i'd highly recommend um but the Duff brothers who wrote and produced and directed the show, they talk about how important the game was to them and how important it is to the characters. And then you see, like, there's basically a giant, like, there's a lot of references to Dungeons and Dragons. And, like, the villain is a Demogorgon, which I guess is a monster from Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so it's it's very interesting. And um, that apparently that's partly to... Uh, credit for this uh, Dungeons and Dragons resurgence yeah. here in 2017. That's super interesting. And also the nostalgia for the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, too, that I will mention for people that might be turned off by it, like, it's called Dungeons and Dragons, but you don't necessarily have to play in a format that is, like, medieval times. Like, you can have a campaign that's, like, completely... Like, you still have, like, the monsters and stuff, and there is that element of, like, fantasy, but you could have it be, like, present day with modern technology. Like, it doesn't have to be some weird, like... Because I know a lot of people are turned off by that. They're like, oh, I'm not into, like, Game of Thrones or whatever because it's set in a different period, and, you know, people are not into that. But I think the best part of it and why I think a lot of creative people are into it, like, writers and stuff like that, is because it exercises that part of your brain that's, like, improvising a character and really... Mm-hmm. you know embodying a character i think that's why a lot of actors and writers like it but it was cool yeah and i think I would play storytelling again. is important as we all know awesome well that is a great millennial moment congrats maddie thanks i try excellent work yeah so um, what is your millennial moment slash yeah, campfire topic so yeah so mine i i didn't really intend for them to kind of bleed into each other but The first thing I wanted to bring up um, is something that we've touched on several times, which is why I'm saying if I'm like repeating things, I feel like I've said before, just tell me to shut up and I'll find something else to talk about. Um, But and that is, you know, I'm we talk a lot about millennials and how they're really looked down upon for moving, quote unquote, back home after they graduate from college. So my millennial moment, the thing that I'm doing right now as a millennial is I am living with family, not with my immediate family, but I am staying with my cousin and her family. Um, and it's super awesome. Um, and I'm so glad to be here a, because it allows me to save my money, uh, focus on starting my own business, which I'm working hard on and actually getting clients, which is really exciting. Do you want to shout out your business? I Are you not do. ready? So yes. I'm, I'm totally happy to shout it out. So basically, I'm doing uh, copywriting, uh, business strategy, creative content building uh, for primarily artists, designers, and makers, but I'll work with entrepreneurs of all types. Um, and you can check out my work at my website, which is very creatively named shakegeats.com. Um, and you can check out my professional Insta, which is at words, numbers, people, all one word, uh, which is very exciting. So please check that out. But um, 
I'm really excited and I, it's a real luxury to be able to do that. And the reason I can do that is because I'm not shelling out $1,500 a month and living expenses to live by myself. Don't you like think back now that you're in that situation and you're like, does it like make you a little sick sometimes to think about like how much money you spent on rent and stuff now that you're not doing it? I made, I made the mistake of doing once was toting up how much I spent on rent during the seven years I was oh. in New York City. You probably could have Poor bought choice. a nice studio apartment for yourself. I could have bought your apartment. Like, maybe not quite bought your apartment, but certainly put a very put nice a down, payment. Very yeah. down payment on it. So, um, oh, it's the worst. that was a little sickening. Um, you know, and I, there was one other period in my 20s where I lived at home at the height of the recession um, for several reasons, and that was, that was fine. But, um, I guess I, so I wanted to talk about it because again, it's a good experience for me and I wanted to talk about the community aspect of it and how, you know, special it is to be able to help out my family. And, you know, my cousin that I'm staying with has two kids, two teenagers, and we're going to be interviewing one of them in a couple weeks. I'm so, so excited. Get ready, kids. She's a real spitfire. Um, she and... left us what I think is probably the best iTunes review. I'll let our oh listeners God, find which one it is, well, but it's the best. It's the best. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so it's just really, you know, they're giving me this this huge gift, and it's so special to be able to get to know the kids. And, you know, I run them around to their activities, and I make dinner and and just generally help out where I can. And I think it's really interesting that we tend to disparage um this type of community building in this day and age, which kind of leads me into my next hot topic. Which Before we do that, can I ask you a question? Just based I have a question and then I'll do my statement first and then I'll ask you the question that I have. Okay. So my statement is when we were interviewing Pomo and Evan, who were both at the time living uh, Mm -hmm. at home with their parents, they... They're obviously younger millennials, but they they had gone away to college, lived in the dorms or whatever, and then came back. And that's kind of similar to the first time when you were living at home Mm -hmm. with your dad. And they were like, it's great to have the family and it's nice being part of that community. But they were like, it's weird being under your parents' thumb after having the taste of freedom. So I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. my question for you is now that you're living with family who isn't your parent and it's kind of a cohesive family unit do you find it easier to kind of be there a as more of an accomplished adult like you have I feel like older millennials are more willing to you know pitch into the community building I don't see people my age that live at home being super jazzed about like taking their younger siblings to (laughs) activities or making dinner and stuff um so do you feel like a being older it's helped you kind of appreciate the familial aspect and do you think it's easier living at home with people that aren't your direct parents who are used to parenting you yeah I mean that's exactly what I was gonna say too I mean you don't have I think sometimes when you go home especially in your 20s you kind of have this like uh snapback where suddenly you feel like you're 14 again and um can you hear me Maddie yes okay just making sure because you're video feed went dead. Um, You you don't have that snap back to, oh, I'm 14 and I have a curfew and my mom wants me to do the dishes. Like, I think 
because it's not your immediate family and I'm a bit older, like I don't have that. Cause I also really didn't have that when I was living at home before, but that's just because my dad is awesome. Hi pop. Shout out. He's also Shout one of our out. number one fans, yes. fans and a Patreon so, subscriber uh, and a Patreon subscriber. He's very excited to get all the swags. Um, so yeah, so I don't, I don't really have that, but I think, and also, you know, my cousin, although she's older than me, she's definitely not like old enough to be my parent. So it's definitely more like living with a peer than living with a, you know, parental figure. Yeah, that definitely um, but helps, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I think the one thing that's interesting that I didn't really think about is like, you know, I just want to be respectful of them and their time. And, you know, I do have the dog. So like, if I want to go out, I not that they've said anything about like needing to be back by a certain time or whatever, but just I'm like, okay, if it were my house and somebody was coming in at 1230 in the morning and the dog was barking, I would be pissed, you know, so I try to be respectful of that, which is something that I haven't had to do in a very, very long time. Um, So I think that aspect is a little bit interesting it's like a little bit funny to be like you know out with a friend and be like oh I gotta go because I want to be back by 11 so the dog you know so I don't wake everybody up um so I think that's interesting but that's that's really the only yeah I'm not having any of that like um you don't feel like you're being supervised in a weird way no no and I get to supervise the teen children which oh my god I can't and tell them it's awesome I feel like my favorite episodes of like other podcasts that I listen to, which, like, there's been a few of these, is when they interview, like, people that are in high school now. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's gonna be so, so fascinating. Well, I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that, anyway, I just think all of that is very interesting. And um, I wanted to talk about it more. But what one point I didn't make was, you know, I think, again, this whole idea of staying with a family when you're like doing what I'm doing and staying with either your parents or a cousin or a sibling um, that's married in between like you're leaving your parents or whatever and getting married yourself was not unusual. And this is like just like 50 years ago, this was not unusual for an unmarried woman to like live with family and help out even if she had her own career. Um, Like Jana from the Duggars. Like Jana from the Duggars. Or even like I remember my own like, you know, great aunts doing this oh yeah my mom had yeah like an aunt who lived with them who was like she was just chilling you know yeah just and now suddenly it's kind of looked as this like negative thing but again I'm having this really wonderful positive experience and getting to be part you know of my family and get to know my family in a new way that's really special and get to know these beautiful kids so I guess I'm just saying like this is don't knock until you tried it. And I'm really grateful for this. So, um, and it to again, go into my campfire topic. Um, I wanted to talk about, um, co-living startups. Um, what's that? I have no idea. Okay. Thank God. Because I was like, did we talk about this? Am I losing my mind? Cause I know I just read this article like recently. Um, so there was an article in the New Yorker actually last year called The Rise of Co-Living of the Co-Living Startup. And it was by um, Lizzie Whittacombe. That is an excellent name. Um, and she just so co-living startups are basically um, the way they call them in the article, which I don't 
like, but they call them dorms for grownups. So basically, they're like a modern version of a boarding house. So you go and you get a quote unquote membership and you get a furnished room. Um, and either you have your own bathroom, some of them have a shared bathroom. And then you get um, like uh, all this wonderful communal space. So there'll be like a chef's kitchen and bike parking and a great common room with like, you know, movie style, theater style seating. And um, they'll be hosting all these activities for people who live in the community, et cetera, et cetera. And I had first heard of this, oh God, a long, long time ago. Uh, like when I first moved to New York and a friend of mine was living in um, the Quaker house, which is basically like a boarding house that you have to apply to be in that's run or was at one time run by the Quakers. Is this in New York? Um, this was in New York. It's in, it's like right off Union Square. Um, and I remember being like, that's so cool. Um, and you get, and you would usually get a really good deal on the room. Um and I thought about applying to live there, but I didn't because I got our wonderful apartment. Um, the real Camp Adulthood so, shout out. There we go. Camp Adulthood sh- short house. So, uh, shout out. So, um, oh, it also like the cost, it includes utilities. Um, and basically, especially if you live someplace like New York City, it removes a lot of kind of the struggles of living in the city because you've got laundry and you've got, you know, mail service and basically doorman. It's a safe place, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this article talked a little bit uh, about the history of them and, again, how it kind of came out of the boarding house idea, but really started in San Francisco and uh, with the rise of the tech industry and all those San, Fr- San Francisco Victorian mansions would kind of be cut up into these like co-op living spaces where they'd have like, you know, 10 guys living in there and they'd share the common space and they'd all go work in Silicon Valley or whatever. Um but now they're all popping up in major cities. Um, and the two that they talked about in the article was one called Common, uh, which they have places in Crown Heights and other places in Brooklyn. So um, anyway, so I definitely want to uh, put the link to this because it's really interesting. It's a totally gorgeous space. But um, what I thought was fascinating and they have them uh, common as a startup. It's been millions of dollars have been invested in it by major investors and they have uh, homes in New York city, San Francisco, Chicago, and DC. So um, as I read this article, I had a lot of different thoughts. I thought it was a cool idea, whatever. Um, I was horrified at the price. Horrified. Oh yeah. What is the price? So, I was going to ask. Um, so in New York City, the cheapest one starts in Crown Heights, starts at $1,300. That seems uh, high. For, yeah, uh, like one room, right? With not a private bathroom. And you don't have a kitchen, right? It's like a communal kitchen? No, it's all communal kitchen. So yeah, that's you've got. Crazy. Yeah. So, and this starts, so there, then there's one in Borham Hill that starts at 2150 um, that does have on-site parking, however. Uh, Ridgewood, which is the neighborhood I first lived in when I moved there, is $1,500. We paid $1,500 for our entire two-bedroom apartment, or $1,600. Uh, but yeah, anyways, also Ridgewood starting, is like in deep into Brooklyn. It's not like, like Williamsburg. You might still get stabbed, Brooklyn. Yeah, it's not, 
and it's not great. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so you're starting at about 1340 at the cheapest one and going to 2150 and the most expensive. Um, and then I didn't really look at the other cities because New York obviously is the only city that matters, even though I don't live there anymore. Um, so that just terrified me. And then I was looking, uh, we work has, uh, their own version of this called we live. Um, but, and this, I, I literally laughed out loud. I thought this was ridiculous. So a private studio, so it does include a small kitchen and a bathroom, starts at three grand a month. What? So I'm like, why would you do that? Dude, you could live like, in like, like where, um, like Emily and Emily, Laura, Vinci's friend. Yeah. She lived with her husband in like a really nice luxury building. They had a studio and I don't even yes. think it was that expensive. Yeah, I had a friend who had a studio in a luxury building with all these same amenities for the same price, you know, and I was like, like, are you kidding me? Like, why? I don't understand. Yeah. So I was really, you know, blown away by that because it's, you know, right now I am, although I am loving living with my family, I am looking for my own place. And I was like, it is just me and the dog. Maybe I, maybe they have something like this here in, in Portland. And then, but everyone I looked at is more expensive than just renting a studio apartment. And I'm like, I don't get it. And so that's what I really wanted to talk about, um, is that what common and we live and these other co-living, uh, communities, uh, are looking to create is, big surprise, a sense of community. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, in the article, it talks a lot about these kids. And this is the thing I couldn't believe, like she is interviewing this one kid who is like a copywriter. And I was like, you are working as a copywriter and you are paying $1,300 a month that I was just like, oh, the amount of people your- I know that yeah. live in New York, and I'm not saying this with disdain at all as someone yeah. who lives in an apartment that was, you know, mostly funded by my parents money, like I am in this I'm speaking to myself when I say this, like, I have so many friends that are in creative industries like that, whose parents pay their rent. Like, that is, I think, pretty common. And I think it's because New York specifically and cities like New York are so prohibitively expensive. Yeah. Like, there's no way. I don't know anyone in an entry-level job, even, you know, in the industry that I'm in where there's lots of money that are making, probably on average, like... 40 to $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, in a more unstable creative field, you might be trying to scrape by on 25, 30 grand. Like, it's insane. There's me. no way you're doing this unless you're working so many hours or you have some sort of independent wealth. And that means something different to different people. Some people, mm-hmm. I've talked to people and they're like, oh, well, my parents don't pay my rent. But then it's like they got an inheritance from their grandparents. It's like, oh, you don't think that that's. That's the, the same. same it's exactly. the same concept, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I just, I think that is crazy. But anyway, so we kind of, we create this community and there's a lot of talk right now or has been for a while that with the rise of the internet and social media, we're kind of like mourning the loss of a physical community. Um, you know, and yet when people seek it out and they create spaces like this, that yes, are ridiculously expensive and super shishi and like hipster ridiculousness but still you know these people are seeking it out and I don't blame them for seeking out you know they talk about there's a book club and a movie club and somebody who always makes freaking paella on Thursdays well if you think about all the yeah if you you think about all the it's basically you're you're changing you're exchanging your time 
for money. Like, think about all the time you spent in New York, like, going to a book club or all the Kappa yeah. stuff that you spent time, like, commuting to and yeah. the time and energy it takes into cultivating new friendships and going to brunch or whatever, mm-hmm. like if you have all that time back because it's in your building and all of your friends are there and you don't have to spend the time planning things, that's so much time that you've saved. Exactly. But so we seek this sense of community and it's kind of made fun of because they're kind of, there's a lot of this article talking about people think that this is stupid, that people want to do this. Um, But, you know, we, it's this kind of like weird. So in my head, when I was like taking notes earlier this morning, um, you know, I wonder if, if we consider this seeking community is kind of like a perverted, like this looking down on the seeking of community is this perverted inversion or interpretation of like the American dream or the American spirit or like westward expansion. Like we have to live by ourselves and do it on our own or else our experience isn't valid. And a lot of the kind of negative things they were talking about it is that, you know, wanting to live in a place like this and have a community is part of this phenomenon called extended adolescence, which they talk a lot about with millennials. Yeah, I was going to mention that it seems like the typical thing that they talk about with millennials, where it's like, you're just delaying adolescence, which to me is a good thing. Because if you're living longer, right, wouldn't it make sense that your phases of life or whatever you want to call it, your seasons of life would be longer if you're living yeah, longer. Exactly. And I think um, they they have this great quote from Aziz Ansari about extended adolescence, which he calls uh, the dicking around and having brunch stage, which I thought was a great uh, phrase. But that being said, why, you know, if you're single and you like brunch and want to have friends, are you somehow permanently immature? And I was thinking back on my own experience, um, to when I lived in Spain and I certainly don't want to idealize um, or simplify Spanish culture in any way. But one thing that I really noticed when I lived there is there is always a sense of community and people are always out in the streets and they're always doing something and always having a meal together and bringing their kids along. And it's not like the second you have kids, you have to hole up in your house and become this insular, you know, contained yeah that's definitely an american thing i thought that was really interesting yeah we talked a little bit about that during um kp's episode yes about like you know you don't have to stop living your life and going on trips or doing fun adventurous things just because you have kids if you're do if your life stops because you have kids that means you're doing it wrong i think yeah no i agree and it means that your kid's life is going to suffer for it as well Let's just make a lot of judgments because we don't have any kids. I love it when we do. No, that. it's it. it's no, not a judgment. I mean, I think KP no, has I kids agree. and she agreed with us. Like, yeah, I think she's a she's prime example awesome. of yeah. someone who lives her life to the fullest and tries to take advantage of opportunities mm-hmm. and doesn't make excuses for why she can't do things. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I I agree with basically everything you said. I think I have a couple thoughts. One is that this reminds me of what Natalie touched upon in her episode when we talked to her and Jenny about the V-Gay situation that they have in Germany, where Mm -hmm. the young professionals in Germany, they don't live with friends and no one lives alone. They all live with like random strangers in these communal flats, kind of like it's it's not like a set 
community where like you're paying to live in a place where it has all these activities but yeah it's like no one goes searching for an apartment with friends you just go on this website and you're like i need a room here and then they set you up with people and Mm -hmm. like she's been able to make a lot of friends living in that culture so i think that's really interesting and i think there is something to be said about paying for convenience i do that a lot of times and i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think if if there wasn't a market for this type of thing and this is why i get um worked up not to change the topic but i think it's analogous like you know whenever people are griping about oh millennials don't buy certain products Mm -hmm. it's like yeah because it's the headline should not be millennials are not buying certain products it should be millennials are making a smart financial decision based upon how much income they have and if you're working so many hours like i work a lot of hours just because of the industry that i'm in but i have a lot of friends who work a lot of hours because they're scraping by at a job that doesn't pay enough and they need to work so many hours that or working several jobs yeah and it would seem i certainly did yeah i've talked to gen x and boomers about this where they're like i don't understand why you know if you're working a survival job so many hours a week why you would pay to have someone pick up your laundry and do it for you and bring it back and it's like okay well maybe because that person only has 30 minutes to themselves any day and they're Mm -hmm. not going to spend it doing laundry let alone all the myriad of other tasks that they have to do like it's just not realistic so they'll splurge the extra ten dollars and maybe not save that towards retirement like you would have done because you had way more disposable income when you adjust for inflation and all that kind of stuff like exactly i think that that is a change you know also this like kind of circles back to my millennial moment like one thing that's so great about you know, living with family or living with a community of whatever kind, like I got this cold this week and, you know, on Sunday, I just like took a nap and I came downstairs and my cousin is like, oh, we took the dog for like an hour and a half walk. And I was like, what? I didn't even hear you. Like somebody just did that for me. And, you know, when you're like living by yourself um, and struggling, sometimes you know, you want a community to help you with those things. I'm not saying that I didn't have a great community when I was in New York, but a lot of times if I needed something, I felt like I was making a concession and I had to like call in all my favors. And that was really hard. And we all, and and again, not saying that I didn't have friends that wanted to help me. Maddie certainly was an amazing help. No, I totally get that. I mean, now that I live with, yeah, I live with Corey It's nice to have someone. Yeah. It's it's totally different, like, when you're living under the same roof with people, whether yeah. it's family or whatever it is. Like, Corey does tons of stuff for me that I'm, like, I, di- I lived in the same apartment in the same living situation for a year, and I survived just fine. But now it's, like, I'm much happier because I don't have to do the shit that I don't want to do. Like, I don't take the trash out anymore. He does it. Like, exactly. It's just much easier. But I think going back to the... um the the co-living situation i think that it is a good i think for a lot of people they need that community and i think in cities like if that's what you want to spend your money on and you'd rather i think one thing that millennials could do more of is analyzing what you spend money on not in terms of just the dollar impact but how much time it saves you Mm -hmm. and quantifying like 
and it could go both ways, right? Like you could see, oh, I'm spending X number of dollars on something that would take me literally five minutes to do. Like that's an expense I could cut and it would be super easy. But then there's other things that you're like, no, this would literally take me like even people in the suburbs. Like I think people that mow their own lawns, it's like Mm -hmm. idiotic to me because in most places, unless you enjoy lawn mowing. Yeah. Unless you really enjoy it. But I'm like, in most communities that I've experienced, you can pay someone literally $20 to mow your lawn and you save half of your two days off per week, a whole half. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you have land, like to for my parents to mow their lawn, it would take my dad multiple hours and he only has two days off per week. Like that's insane. Like the dollar return for that is astronomical. So I think stuff like that people don't. Uh-huh think about too much and i read before that like you're making those kind of um analyses of your own life you should literally figure out what your hourly rate is so like if if you hire me to do copywriting for you my hourly rate works out to be something like 150 dollars an hour so if that's how much my time is worth i'm not gonna fucking spend that like cleaning my house if for 75 dollars i can pay someone to come in and do that for me yeah, you I know? think that's really smart. Um, so it's just something to think about. And um, Maddie and Shay are not doing a budgeting podcast for this reason. So No, I think it's, I mean, I think things work out. Like, I think, you know, if you're going to spend beyond your means, it should be for a really good purpose. And I think most well, people yeah, don't exactly. do that. They see how much money they have in the bank account. And then they see, okay, I can spend this much. But I think being people think that budgeting is just like scrimping on the little things when it's like no if Mm -hmm. you're going to be miserable cleaning your house and you could pay someone to do it or even like work it out with a friend where you're like we're going to go over to each other's houses and cook each other dinner like that yeah cooking for one person is so budget inefficient yeah so also one of my favorite things about living with family is i get to cook for a whole family of people that like to eat food and it's so fun and i love it so much so great so good um that's an excellent campfire topic yeah thank you thank you but um what was i gonna say just to finish up i don't know it totally just left my brain but um you can always circle back i did i wanted to say just that conversation um about money and I think also about the co-living spaces being so expensive like I just always want to give our disclaimer that you know we're saying we're coming from the perspective of you're meeting a baseline of you know being able to buy your food and pay your rent and and all of that and um, we understand not everyone is as lucky as we are yes definitely I'm trying to be very mindful of these kind of things when we talk on the podcast because I just was reading some interesting articles about people really getting on the my favorite murder girls and they try to be so (laughs) like they acknowledge their privilege so openly and yet people are still getting on them so I just want to make sure that we are also acknowledging that we're coming from a really specific I think it's um, good place we want our listeners to know we want to know our audience we want them to know us but I think Mm. This could be a whole campfire topic in and of itself. I think sometimes it's like, I can't, I can't change anything about the past and I can't change who I am as a person, my demographic Mm -hmm. or whatever. So it's like, this is our podcast. We're speaking our truth and never have we, you know, said we're trying to make an all encompassing podcast about every millennial experience ever in the globe. So I think we try our best to highlight 
different experiences, whether it's our own experiences or other people that we bring on. Like, I think we try to have, you know, different things and touch upon different topics. But I think, I mean, the guys we fuck girls talk about that too. I think if you're two, you know, white middle class or upper class people doing a podcast, it's going to be, you're going to have some backlash on that no matter how hard you try really so oh for sure about that um so all right my campfire topic topic. so this i just wanted to to dabble in this um Mm -hmm. we don't have to have a whole you know in-depth conversation but i think mental health issues are something that is talked about a lot within this generation and that means something different to different people and i think we could have a whole you know delving into mental health topic but i really wanted to talk about um three things really one is this article that i found in the new york times called prozac nation is now the united states of xanax which i was like pithy title um and it basically talks about how millennials in particular are mental illness of choice which Mm -hmm. whatever that's a problematic premise in and of itself but it's like people the gen x slackers so to speak like the kurt cobain sort of archetype was um they were all about depression it was like the angsty you know 90s alanis Mm -hmm. morissette like you know i'm sitting in my bedroom like being so sad crying yeah she's great um but you think about that it's like the pacific northwest like rain it's dark it's depressed and when you think about Mm -hmm. millennials it's like over caffeinated anxious people which yes. I thought was a very interesting <laughs> premise. Yeah. And they talk about, um, I'll go in more into the article in a second, but it made me think of former guest Mike Coscarelli's podcast mm. that yeah. I told him we would shout out. So I'm doing it now. Yeah. Anxiety Now. Ooh, it's, ooh, it's really good, guys. It is pretty good. To it. Yeah. We're not just saying that because uh, yeah. we don't owe Mike any favors. But no. um, I mean, we owe him a little, a few favors, actually. Uh, he's nice. He's a nice enough guy. Um, yeah, he's fine. But if he gets you a dinner date with Corinne Fisher, then we'll owe him all the favors. Oh, yes. He's going to listen to this <laughs> and he's going to be like, oh, well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so his podcast is basically it's him and this other guy and they talk about they're kind of two neurotic sort of comedians. And um, Mike, in our limited experience of him, he is very neurotic mm-hmm. and we don't even know him that deeply at all. And they talk about what's making them anxious this week and they talk about things in the news and their own personal experience. And it's definitely more introspective than Mike's old podcast. Um, And so they talk a lot about that, like things in New York that make them anxious. So there's that. And in this article, they also talk about another podcast, which side note, not related to the hot topic at all, but I looked up this podcast. It's called Generation Anxiety and they are not any more like of a reputable or legitimate podcast than we are. Like I looked up, I looked them up on social media. I looked at their website. Like they might have a few more listeners than we do, but they're not like crazy well-known. I was like, the person Mm -hmm. who wrote this New York times article must've just been Googling like podcasts about anxiety millennials and like found it because it's not discrediting them in any way, but I just thought it was interesting. This new Mm -hmm. media landscape we're in. Um, and it's basically an entire podcast about the anxieties of millennials. And then this article is really great. It's by Alex Williams. And 
they kind of talk about, you know, the Prozac Nation view in the 90s has kind of turned into, you know, people taking Lexapro and Ativan now and that kind of thing. And then they talk about the, which, such a trope that I can't even believe the New York Times is like still printing it, but they were talking about how the leader of the Gen X generation is Kurt Cobain and he was like super depressive. Obviously, he killed himself. And the leader of the millennials is, wait for it, Lena Dunham, shock of the century. Um, And about how she, they quoted something she said at the 92nd Street Y about, she was like, I don't remember a time not being anxious. She's suffered debilitating anxiety and she has written in Girls, the TV show about this. Like her character was definitely anxiety was part of the character. Um, In some way, they talk about how, you know, in previous generations in the 60s, you used to escape life by doing drugs and, you know, having a bunch of sex. But they're like, now, if you have a bunch of sex, you have to go on Tinder and then you fear constant rejection, which makes you anxious. You can't just like have a (laughs) casual thing. Like it made me anxious. I'm I think I can speak for myself. I'm probably like the least anxious person I know. I just don't relate to it at all. Me too. Yeah. yeah, so I think we might be bad people to talk about that. But they even talk about, yeah. <laughs> like, like in this age of, like, having Donald Trump as president, like, that makes people more anxious, like, our politics. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just thought it was very interesting. But, yeah, I've definitely felt within, on a more micro level, my own friend group, like, I have a lot of friends that are either, you know, dealing with anxiety issues, and I think something that used to be talked about as, you know, oh, I'm giving a big presentation at work and I'm a little anxious has now turned into um, more of a deeper sort of mental health crisis, if you will, with people. So I I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. And, you know, God, I have many, many, many things I could say on this topic. But I, I think just in relation to what you brought up, like why, why are millennials anxious? And I think, and I, I hate to say this, but you know, I do think it's because of social media and it's the constant onslaught. So I think, you know, people who used to suffer from anxiety, would be this kind of internal motivators or internal triggers. So it's like, like you said, I'm anxious because I'm giving a presentation or I'm anxious because my grandma has cancer or I'm anxious because, um, every time I have to walk the dog, I have to cross a busy street. So it's, it's kind of like these things that you're, um, you're, it's more external. It's more, well, that's the thing is it's like, it's just like a constant onslaught. Like they talk in this article about like Twitter. It's like something that used to be, it's like, instead of watching like one 30 minute broadcast on the evening news, yeah, exactly. You're now seeing like little splinters of things like scrolling through your newsfeed. And I think something interesting too that they talk about is the anxiety partially comes from a fear of failure. And I think this is particularly salient with older millennials that were coming of age during the recession of there's a great possibility and it's probably going to be likely, I believe that it is, that our generation is going to be worse off financially than the boomers were Mm -hmm. and so if you've grown up in an upper middle class way and you've kind Mm -hmm. of had like a nice cushy life like many of us have and then you're like all right now I'm going out into the world and it's just like constant you don't see a clear path forward and it's just constant rejection yeah that is anxiety producing for a lot of people well exactly and that's just what I was saying is like our anxiety is now no longer these is kind of limited 
to these like normal things that happen in life. It's now that we're having this constant onslaught because of social media and because of the way we consume media and consume the news and consume the world. It's just that you can't get away from anything. And I think this is a really good, I mean, you made a really good point about why, especially older millennials, I think even if you are quote unquote, a successful person, you tend to have a lot of rejection in your life. And um, that's really tricky yeah or even just not a clear path forward like I think about my dad like he started working at a company right out of college and he like basically he switched like companies once but he's been like at the same company he's just kind of like stayed the course and now like my parents are by any stretch of the imagination like they are the one percent and I don't think it's that easy. Like, I even think about myself, like, I work at a big corporation, and it's like, I don't think if I stayed at my current job and just, like, did it for 30 years, I don't think that I would have the level of wealth and success that my dad had in his career. And that's obviously Mm -hmm. just one data point. Like, it's very different in a lot of ways, but I think part of it is just, like, things are so uncertain and people just are not getting paid enough to live like the you know yeah we've all seen the studies like wages are just not going up in proportion to the cost of living and things like that so and well, there yeah, are and a I, lot of triggers uh-huh yeah and I certainly think about that a lot in my own life because I think I you know tend to choose these paths that are non-traditional and I'm excited about them and um you know I hope I'm successful but you know there's a part of me that's like oh, you know, maybe I do need to just accept that I'm not ever going to make a lot of money, never going to make what I made in New York again and suck it up and like get a teaching certificate and go teach high school English. But then I'm like, you know, because Maddie, the number of jobs that I am overqualified for that I've been rejected for since I moved here, I'm like, are you fucking kidding? Another one today I was, they were like, yeah, we don't think you're qualified. I was like this, I was like, just because I'm, you know, people don't want to hire, they can't, Anyway, that's a whole other thing. They yeah. don't want to think outside the box. And I'm just like, you know what? This doesn't make any sense to me. And so I, I think, you know, I quote unquote get anxiety, although for me it's pretty low level because I'm not an anxious person. But, you know, I think, you know, I'm trying to do this thing and it's exciting and start my own whatever. And but then I'm like, should I just go back and do this and teach high school or be a librarian or whatever? Because that's a straighter path, even though maybe I'll only be making $45,000 a year or something for the rest of my life. And then I'm like, no, because what if I do that? And then I can't get a fucking job as yeah. a teacher or a librarian. And then I'm really up shit Creek, right. you know, after so you do all think, of that work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's what been... it's like for us older millennials who came through that goddamn recession. Yeah. And I think excuse my language. I mean, I see it in the younger millennials too. Like the job that I interviewed for last week, they have straight up ghosted me. Yeah. Like, rude unacceptable um but yeah i've gone on probably four or five interviews in the past couple months like different companies like multiple interviews at each one and they either just ghost you and a lot of these i am a a couple of them have been like a stretch like i was like all right you know depending on the qualification like it could go either way like whatever but some of them i'm like i am grossly overqualified for this and i know for a fact Yeah. And, like, you'll never know the answer, and that's fine, but I I agree, and I think it's 
I think it's better to do what you're doing because you realize, and I realized this recently, that you can't rely on anyone but yourself. And if yeah, you're exactly comfortable working within like a corporate framework and you're like, all right, I know, this is like where I thrive. This is where I know I can do well. I know I can succeed. Then like, great, you should stick with that. If you mm-hmm. don't have that or people won't hire you, then I don't think you can rest on like, I think the world is just such a different place that you can't just like get a job at your local whatever and be yeah, like, I, I will have a nice middle class life. Like that just doesn't exist anymore. No. Well, I want to tell this like quick anecdote because I like it cracks me up every time I think about it. So um, a mentor of mine, uh, one of my old professors who's now retired from NYU, who's been very supportive of me. And he was like, well, why don't you just like teach at community college to, you know, make a couple extra grand a semester. I was like, well, that's nice, but I'm not going to get a job at a community college. And he's like, you need to just walk into Portland state and demand that they give you a job as an adjunct. And I'm like, no, like that's that's not how it works. That's not how it works anymore. But, and granted, like he's a very well-educated man and went to Yale, went to Yale, um, et cetera, et cetera. But like he came of age as a professor in the seventies. So like, yeah, he literally, walked into whatever job he wanted and just said, I will work here, please. Thank you. And like, that's just not it. Like he, it blows his mind that he, that, you know, he considers me to be one of his top students of his career. And yet I can't get into, like, I can't get a job doing something that I have a master's degree in and have spent 10 years doing like, and that's just the world that we live in today. So yeah, it's more competitive. So I agree. I think there's a lot more things to be anxious about. And I think a lot of it is environmental. I do think that there's a lot of things that people could do to help themselves and they don't. That's a problem. Like, I think, you know, if you don't have the self-discipline to like not look at Facebook for five hours a day, then like you probably shouldn't have it. Like (laughs) stuff like that. Like I've just never had like... I have friends that are like that, that are like, oh, I have to have, like, a technology-free day because I can't control myself not looking at it unless I, like, disable my phone and, like, shut off from society for a whole 24 hours. I'm like, okay, well, that, like, that, like, there's jokes about, like, I've heard stand-ups do jokes about, like, if you're one of those people that, like, can't get through the day without a cup of coffee, then, like, you should be in rehab because if you can't get through the day without doing something, that means that you're an addict and you have a severe problem like to me that's the same thing I'm like if that's the way that you live where you don't have the self-discipline not to 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 just not look at something then you should like go talk to someone about that like that is concerning you know yeah well exactly and I think there's also and I given that there are people that I love very dearly who suffer from debilitating uh anxiety I hate to even like bring this up but like I there is this culture of like, it's cool to have anxiety and yes, like very people build that in. Yeah. And they build it into their quote unquote personal brand. And that just infuriates me. Yeah. I think so. It, totally. I am completely on the same page about that. I think it's the same way. Like I've never had clinical depression, quote unquote, but I've like definitely gone through phases where I'm like, I am depressed for one reason or another. Yeah. And for me, it's like, it's just like a short thing and you like bounce back. But there are some people where it's like, it, it really is like, it, it is a disease and it plagues you. And I think anxiety is the same way. And I think now it's like, it's 
cool like i don't know i think that there are this is gonna make me sound judgy but i'm gonna say it anyways like there there's a fine line between like mental illness and just like like things that are now culturally acceptable mm-hmm. you know like yeah and i think the way people talk about it is really problematic and sometimes it's hard to tell but like i've had friends that are like oh I blew off meeting up with you and I stood you up because I was too anxious to leave the house today. I'm like, okay, that's fine if you are, like, suffering from something, but, like, sending a text message takes two seconds. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for some people, that's, like, too much. But I'm like, again, if it's too much to pick up the phone and call someone, then you should, yeah, admit yourself into the hospital. That's terrifying. Like, you are not a productive member of society. Like, that's how I feel about it. So... I think sometimes it's used as an excuse and I think it does a disservice to the people that are are really suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I love when we agree on everything. We're the best. We're so insane. We're the best. We're so insane. Um, So. Well, shall we wrap it up? Any last things you want to say? I guess. No, I feel like this was an excellent conversation. Maddie, I love talking to you. Um, Benson behaved herself. Yeah, so I can't even believe she's in the same room. That's I know great. she's. I'm gonna send you a picture when we get off. She's like passed out on top of all of her plastic toys. Aww, it's very so funny. Cute. She went to daycare this morning. So because I'm a millennial and I send my dog to daycare, and I don't care who judges me. For. You ha- you have to socialize so. your dog. That's a real thing. Like people that don't yeah. socialize their dogs, your dog ends up becoming a menace. Yeah, Benson is a menace of cuddles. So. <laughs> Benson is all a right. menace in other ways, not yes. because she's not socialized around other dogs that's um, true well this is um, great yeah so campers uh do what you do hit the the patreon get the swags before we do our first shipment it'll be great and mm-hmm. um twitter instagram all that fun stuff at camp underscore adulthood and leave us reviews on itunes again i say it every time but i'm like yeah and see if you easy. can see if you can beat the best 12 year olds review ever yeah some of them are really creative also yeah, they're really good yeah well re- maybe we should next time just read all of our reviews that would be fun i could read one i could pull one up really quickly can, if you, we, can we can we just read can we just read kelsey's because we were yes. talking about it so this is from kelsey shout out title love 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 five stars already great in all caps a hundred percent recommend this to people who like podcasts this is almost like a long YouTube video that is just a voiceover. I find all of them, in all caps, very interesting. And I'm a m- member of the, in quotes, iGen, which is aka the internet generation. I'm only a teenager who likes to listen to cool things, and this is def one of them. Definitely recommend. So, it's great. two things. A, her it. mom made fun of her for calling herself a teenager because she's only 12. Aww. And B, she's only listened to one episode because she's only allowed to listen when either my mom or either her mom or I'm with her um, because it's explicit content and some of it she's not allowed to stream on her phone. Oh, <laughs> So cute. That's so, really cute. Do they yeah. have like a block like for kids? Can they not stream? Yeah, they can get explicit podcasts. It. Yeah. And oh. Matt or, and uh, Kelsey also thought it was really gross when Maddie uh, talks about how her body sometimes touches Corey's in the night. I mean, Kelsey, she was really when she out. when we talked to her on the mic, she should lobby for the bunk bed situation. Then, That's all right, the... we'll we'll get an impassioned lobby about the bunk beds from from young Kelsey. All right, thanks, campers. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page where you can be a subscriber and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.